0: we've been uh, following the track of our master we have been trying to make and declare and define the difference between being a Christian and being a follower of Christ because being a Christian it's very simple all you have to do is being born in a Christian family isn't it or you can just say a little prayer or you can just you know Christian is unfortunately uh, um, a term that has been misconstructed and misunderstood throughout the ages because it originated out of Antioch, in, uh, that, that's, that would be modern Turkey, and it was a derogatory term. It was an insult. It was, it was like, a, ah, come on, man, are you, are you one of those? The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And you will see that the King Agrippa says, would you want to make me Christian to Paul? And Peter says that you're going you're gonna to suffer because you're a Christian. And all the time there's, there's like, a, like a hint of, uh, of something not right. And if you think about it, if all you are is someone that carries a definition, that's all you are. And that's why you see i know not in this church but in other churches you see christians that don't keep their words you see christians who lie and again i said not, not 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 this church other churches christians who lie christians who steal christians who don't do their job properly christian who christians who, who who cheat on their wives god help us christians who beat on their children. Christians, why? Because they're just Christians. They're not disciples. Because a disciple will follow his master. Or oh, he might fall. Every, he might sin every now and then. He might make a mistake every now and then. But his eyes, gaze, his desire is to follow his master. And that's why the saying of the disciples with the, the rabbi was, Rabbi, may the dust of your feet fall. May the dust of your sandals fall upon my feet. Why? Because I want to follow you. I want to be like you. I want to be from a disciple. I want to become a follower. I want to become an imitator. I want to become someone who is made in the image of. And I am sorry to say, but there's a whole bunch of Christians who do not portray the image of Christ. You know it. I know it. We all know it. But we just, you know, the church of Jesus Christ just goes on merrily, merrily, merrily. Why? Because that's it. I mean, who cares? Why? Because we have come to the the thinking that knowing about the, the information about Christ is enough. But it isn't. If you are informed about Christ, if you know who he is, you're a Christian. But if you decide to follow him, you're a disciple. And there's a world of difference. And that's why Christianity, in inverted commas, today, in the world, is looked upon as a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because we say we're something, but then we do something else. It's like uh, we know we have a certain amount of information about Jesus. We know about him. But when it comes down to following him it's almost like that information is shelved it doesn't enter into her hard drive. it just stays on a memory stick somewhere unused it's like I'll give you an example when we were in Capri a couple of months ago when we were when my wife was in Capri uh, a couple of months ago she she was walking to the center of the of the little uh, island and she saw Rod Stewart now how many of you know who Rod Stewart are and how many of you are too young to know who Rod Stewart is you know who Rod Stewart is you go to my head and you linger like a haunting refrain Eh? you remember that okay anyway so anyway that's Rod Stewart now I know you don't know him he's about like he's like 68 (laughs) come on but anyway so he was like big shot some years back. Now, can you imagine if my wife said, just because she saw him, and he was walking in front of him, in front of her with pushing a, a, a pram with his 75th child. And, uh, and anyway, can you imagine if my wife said, I know Ross Stewart. And, and no, you don't. You know about him. But you don't know him. You know me you don't know him you know about him and Christians know about Jesus know about Christ but I don't know him and sadly we give most of our problems to how we behave when Jesus gives most of our problems to how we believe and so this morning I want to carry on talking about the rabbi, following the rabbi, the life of a disciple. And um, uh, we have looked in the last two Sundays, we have looked at the, in order to, uh, a rabbi, any rabbi, had three particular characteristics that uh, identified him from other rabbis. Number one was his yoke. His yoke was the way that he interpreted the law. Okay? So now we saw right in the beginning that Jesus interpreted the law very simply. He said, repent from believing the law. Change your mind from thinking that the law is going to help you, is going to save you. Change your mind. Make a turn about. Make a a, a, a turn around. Change your mind and believe the good news, the gospel, of the fact that, that there is a new kingdom, there's a new king. Everything has been done. Your sins have been forgiven. Now relax and follow me. So that was the yoke. That's the way that Jesus... Understood and interpreted the law. And then last week we saw the commandments or the instructions of the rabbi. What 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 was the the main commandment of the rabbi? And as I said to you, when Jesus was approached by by the young lawyer and the lawyer said, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In those days, the greatest commandment of the law was what? Keep the Sabbath holy. And that's what they attacked Jesus every time because he was healing people on the sabbath how dare you healing people on the saturday do it on a tuesday not on a saturday there's a special time to to heal people to do good to people but not on the side. So that was the one—the the, the commandment with which they were attacking Jesus all the time. Why? Because that, at the time, that was the most important commandment. And Jesus takes it and flips it right over, and he said, "You know what? A new commandment I give unto you: that you love one another." And the heart of a disciple. I don't care if you come to this church. I don't care if you go to any other of, the, of the other churches in town. I don't care if you belong to the biggest denomination on earth. I don't, if you don't love one another, you are not a disciple of Christ. No, but you don't know what they did to me. I couldn't care squat about what they did to you. Because what they did to you, they did to me. They did to all of us. Because they are a bunch of no goods. Did you know that? They are bad. They are hurtful. They are, and they will hurt you. And they will, and you need to make up your mind sooner or later that you're going to love regardless. Or remain a Christian. Which is fine. You're still going to make heaven. Because you don't go to heaven in terms of how you behave. You go to heaven in terms of who you belong to. And if you're in Christ and stop behaving like a Christian, you're in Christ. But this morning, we're going to see the consequences of doing that. Because number three of a rabbi is his personality. And um, personality, Jesus, has a very particular personality. And if you would like to Turn with me to the Gospel of John, please, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. And let's start reading from verse 1. It's a good place to start. We're going to read 14 verses. In fact, I'm going to read them. You're going to listen. Okay. here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made in him. If if any of you have got a problem with the God particle that the world seems to be talking about, relax. If there is such a thing, it was made by Jesus. Where's the big deal? I don't know what the big deal is. If there is such a thing, the Bible says he made all things, so he made the God particle too. Amen. I thought I'd just throw that in. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word loved the world so much that couldn't stay away. And he had to come and become like one of us. And so put on flesh, became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. If we want to know what Jesus' personality, what the rabbi Jesus Christ's personality was, here it is. He was full of grace and truth. And the word full is which means Full right up to the top, like there is no room for anything else. In other words, his whole complexity, his whole personality, his whole being was grace and truth. And at this point in time, what do we have? We have two groups, don't we? We have the grace group and we have the truth group. And the church of Jesus Christ has always been divided into the grace group. The grace group, as it says, what, what, what do they say? They say everything is done, everything is finished, you can do what you want. It's cool. All you have to do is just go to church on Sunday morning. And if you really, really, really want to get some brownie points, Wednesday evening. And please don't forget Christmas, Easter, funerals and weddings. And certain denominations, baptisms. And then you're cool, you're fine, because that is the grace group. Over here, we have the truth group. Now, the truth group, what do they say? They say, you better behave, buddy, because, you know, the day of judgment is coming. And God's going to look at you, and he's going to say, depart from me, you dirty sinner, you. I shall burn you forever in hell. I mean, and so you got the grace over here that, ooh, let's laugh, let's. You know, let's have a spiritual encounter. And you got the truth over here, they say, ah, everybody's going to hell but me. But Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, would you please separate grace from truth? Because it was full of grace and it was full of truth. I'm a little short but I didn't want to take chances but he was full full to the top you couldn't put in it everything that he was was grace and truth not just grace not just truth grace and truth now what, What is that supposed to mean? Uh, let me give you an example. John chapter 8. We know the story of uh, a certain lady, an adulterer, that was caught in the act. Now, a group of Pharisees went out, most probably to have a bit of a naughty time. And one of them, maybe... Anyway, let's not get into that. But they caught her in the act. Now, the last time I checked in order to catch someone in the act, you've got to be part of the act. Or no? Right? So, most probably the Pharisees were kind of uh, busy with the lady in question. Ah, However, something went wrong and so they got her and they dragged her at the feet of Jesus and they threw her at the feet of Jesus who was at the temple minding his own business. And they said like all religious people would say, Master. (laughs) And we know that, of course, uh, the trap was being set. They said, Master, we have caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And Master, the law of Moses says that such a one should be stoned. But what do you say? master. Now the trap is set. Why? Because if Jesus says, uh, I believe we should stone her, out got grace. Because you you're not very loving throwing rocks at someone, okay? Grace goes out the window if he says, we should stone her. But he should, see, if he said, no, I don't think we should stone her, Truth goes out the window. Because the law stated she should be stoned. So now how do we handle that? How do we handle this grace and truth thing? Because you see, Jesus doesn't overlook sin. However, please stay tuned to this exciting channel because this morning I'm going to give you what I believe is a revelation that will revolutionize your future disciple life. Jesus is writing on the ground and my wife and I have been to Israel. We were, we were there a couple of months ago and in front of the temple which is not there anyway but uh, in front of the, the wall what they call the western wall that was supporting the platform on which the temple was built which now is the is the, um, the, the, the temple dome, the, the, the golden Muslim thing there. And, uh, but on th- in front of the temple, there, was, there wasn't sand. There was rock. There was stone. Now, the Bible says that he was writing on the ground. And <laughs> when was the last time that God wrote on stone? When he wrote the Ten Commandments, when he wrote the law. So when they went to him and they said, Master, the law says, Jesus was like saying, yeah, I know, I wrote it. He was writing on the rock, on the stone. And then in order to make his point even stronger, after he tells them what to do, he writes again. Because how many times did God write on the tablets of stone? Twice, first time before the the incident of the golden calf, and the second time after. So for two times, Jesus writes on the on the on the stone, and it's like like he's saying, "Hey guys, I wrote the law. I have the right to bypass the law if I want to, because I have written it." And he says, uh, "I tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to apply the truth. So we're going to stone a uh, the only little condition that I, that I make is that uh, uh, the one of you that has never committed this type of sin, I would like him to throw the first stone. And then he writes on the, on the rock again. And then, of course, we know that they all leave and they all go away, starting from the older one to the younger one, which should tell you something. They leave. They go away. And then Jesus looks at the, at the woman and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? And now listen to this. Because the woman, adulterous, caught in the act, guilty as charged, doesn't say, I'm sorry. Does not Repent. The way that religion has told us to repent. (laughs) Yes, God, I know. I'm sorry, please. I'm sorry. She doesn't do anything of the kind. As a matter of fact, she says, No, nobody condemns me. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. Now why is that? I don't condemn you, but if you do it again, I will. Is that what it means? How bipolar is God? I don't condemn you you're guilty you were caught in the act you don't you're not repentant you don't i don't condemn you but if you do it one more time i will is that what it means no what it means is this he said lady don't do it again because next time i might not be here to save your butt." i mean jesus didn't say that but And they will rock you to sleep for real. Sin, listen to me. Sin does not push you, sin pushes you away from success and happiness, not God. Because sin has been paid for on the cross, but Jesus says, Do me a favor. Don't do it again. Do you remember the, the 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 paralytic at the at the pool of Bethesda? Thirty-eight years. What does Jesus say to him? He goes down to him, and the guy makes a declaration of doubt. He basically tells Jesus, "I don't believe you can save me." Why? Because Jesus says, "Do you want to be made well?" And he and he replies and he says. <laughs> Man, I don't have anybody to take me down. I mean, th- that was a revelation to me. I mean, the pool of Bethesda is like 20 meters deep. Seriously, that's why the angel went down to the water. That's why everybody went down. The multitudes went down to, touch, to get in the water when the angel went down. Because he's 20 meters down. And Jesus touched him and said, do you want to be made well? And he said, I don't have any man that will put me down, and I mean they suggested to throw me down, but I said, nah, (laughs) you know, better paralytic than dead. (laughs) So, and uh, so he says, basically made a declaration of doubt. He He said, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Try and get away from the religious picture of the angels in heaven singing hallelujah, hallelujah. And Jesus coming with long blonde hair and blue eyes, being in gentle breeze that moves his white robe in the wind and says, do you want to be made well? And the paralytic say, oh, Lord, please make me. Well. No, no. He said, no, man, you do, you do, I don't have anybody that will take me down. So how can I be made well? And Jesus says, pick up your bed. Get out of here. And, and, and I think that he said pick up your bed because he wanted to give us a message sometimes our bed of infirmity is very comfortable sometimes our sin sometimes our way that we do things sometimes our way we don't do things it's very comfortable so Jesus says pick up your bed get out of here you are healed and he did and he went and then Jesus looked at him and he said listen to me he said now go and sin no more lest the worst thing happens to you you just healed the guy if you say sin no more it means that you knew he had that thing was the cause of some sin because let me tell you something buddy you drink too much your liver is going to go to jesus And you shortly thereafter. I told you before, but people say to me, will I go to heaven if I smoke? And I said, yeah, much sooner than me. Sin will make you miserable. Listen to me. Sin is not separating you from God. Sin separates you from life. Abundant life. Pride addictions, unforgiveness, it's all stuff that will get stuck in your heart and in your body and will eat life away from you, not separate you from God. If you are in Christ, nothing, nothing, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. However, you can live the life of a Christian, Divorce after divorce, addicted to stuff, killing your body with substance, killing your mind with unforgiveness, bitter inside, totally messed up because you refuse to follow the master. Oh, you can live the life of a disciple. And I'm telling you something, the choice is yours. Young people, yeah. The society, the culture tells you to behave in a certain way. This book tells you to behave in a different way. The choice is yours. But in a couple of years' time, when there's an unwanted child, unwanted by dad and mom and dad, not by God, because God wants them all, when there's destruction in your life because of a mistake, because of a sin you committed with someone, because you had too much to drink, because you put something in your body, because you listened to him telling you, I love you. No, he doesn't. He just wants you. When he's done with you, that's it. Thank you very much. Goodbye. I'll go on to the next one. And you can decide will that send me to hell? Hey, I've told you if you are in Christ, if you if in your heart you have received by grace, through faith, the sacrifice of Christ, and you've entered into the the body of Christ, you are safe. But sin will mess up your life. Something terrible. And that's what Jesus is saying. Sin no more, lest the worst thing can happen to you. Because it will, buddy say grace and truth Jesus is not he he hasn't got soft on sin you know sometimes the grace the grace uh, uh, group you know Jesus is soft on sin no he's not but you know what happened to sin sin got judged in him and paid for in him now listen to what Paul says quickly. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I'll tell you something. If you just, if you, Lord, please help me, Holy Spirit, to, to deliver this message clearly so that we can understand what you're talking about. Listen to this. Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, either this is in the New Testament or it isn't. Is the book of Romans in the New Testament? Right. So something must have happened to receive the wages of sin. Otherwise, that's it. We will pay with death. But thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Watch what Paul says now. 7, I mean, this is a beautiful book. 7.20. Paul says, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 8.3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. the wages of sin are death but sin is in the flesh sin is in the flesh temporal righteousness is in your spirit eternal now let that sink inside of you and you'll understand the gospel sin is in the flesh temporal why because one day thank God we're gonna get out of this fire will judge sin in our flesh and will destroy. And that's it. But righteousness, which is imputed to us through Christ, in other words, is given to us. It's a gift given to us. Righteousness is in your spirit. And that, my friend, is eternal. But if you sin, if you do what Paul says, you will mess up your life you will mess up your life. Just that simple. That's what Jesus keeps on saying. Go and sin no more. Why? Because it's going to hurt you. Is that is that too difficult to understand? Is, is that all right? The, 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 because to me, that is the solution between grace and truth that the church has been fighting with. I mean, I was listening this morning to a preacher that said, the day of judgment is coming. And one day the Lord will look at you and say, depart from me because I never knew you. Man, brother, if you if he never knew you, you that's it. He never knew you. So what, you're not getting, judge, you, we, not getting judgment. I'm not getting judgment. I've been judged in Christ. My Spirit has been declared righteous because he was declared sin. He was made to be sin for me that I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And I tell you something, you want to know when I I obeyed the will of the Father? He said, this this guy this morning said on the radio, he said, because you didn't do the will of the Father, give me a massive break. Because you make you do the will of the father you are so holy and high that you do the will of the father who which one ever you don't even know what the will of the father is but if you're in Christ one day 2,000 years ago in a garden go get simone your representative my representative said to god not my will but yours be done and he did the will of the father and if you be in christ you are a new creation old things have passed away behold everything has become new that's when you did the will of the father puny, little misbehaving, little thing just because you go to church on Sunday morning and you think you're doing the will of the Father. You're getting brown points. Is God up in heaven looking over the balustrade going down to earth. <laughs> wow, Patrick is in church again. Sheesh. Write it down. Write it down. Write it down. Next two months, free parking. Whenever he prays for a parking, give him a parking. Give me a massive break please is that the way that we think God behaves no you know what he says he says don't do it sin pushes you away from happiness and success not from God in Luke chapter 15 we know the story of the prodigal son what Just think with me for a moment. Who was hurting more? The one who left the father or the one who was never with the father? Because when the sinning young man came home, the older brother said to his dad, he said, I have obeyed you for all these years. I have done everything you asked me to do. For all these years I have behaved. And here the sinning, good for nothing, son of yours. And You killed the fatted calf. And it's interesting the, the sarcasm because he says to him, you didn't even give me a, a small kid. But the actual translation is a skinny goat. Skinny, a skinny goat as opposed to the fat calf. And he says, Here, the sinning son of yours come home and you give him the fatted calf. And I, lo- I worked, I labored, I did everything you asked me to do all this time. And you don't even give me, you didn't even give me a skinny goat to have a party with my friends. And I'll tell you something, we think the father pushed him away but he pushed himself away from the father because the father replied my son everything I have is yours the reason why you didn't get the skinny goat because you didn't go get a skinny The reason why you didn't get the fatted calf? Because you didn't get the fatted calf. You didn't ask me. You didn't say, Dad, can I have what belongs to me? I would have said, yes, of course. All that I have is yours. Now when you've eaten that fatted calf, fatten another calf. Because my other son is coming home. Amen? Now, now, while we wait for CNN to change the tape. Let me close with this. Does that mean anything to you? i tell you something. It, it should liberate you so much. This is good news, my friend. This is good news because your future is in your hands. Your eternal future is in the hands of God, but your future is in your hands. I've even written a book called The Hole in the Hedge, is based exactly on that even before I had the full revelation of what I'm preaching you about I've written this book the hole in the hedge that speaks about 12 rats that eat a hole in the hedge of protection that God makes around you when you get born again and things like unforgiveness things like uh, unconfessed sin Things like lack of wisdom, things like lack of th- things like fear, things like pride. There are 12 things that you, it's, 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 go and sin no more. Don't do it. Don't be proud. Why? Because you're carving a hole in the hedge of, of, of protection where the devil can come in and hit you right. Why? Because you're proud. Unforgiveness, lack of wisdom, all stuff that you do, stupid stuff. Don't blame the devil if you have a car accident when you travel at hundred and eighty-five kilometers an hour through Austin. Because it's not his fault. He got out your car when you when you hit the hundred and sixty, he said, hey, I ain't getting, I'm getting out of here. It's not we are our life is the result of our choices. That's why Jesus says, Go and sin no more. Why? Because that sin will keep you away from God. No, your sin has been carried by the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So, what's the problem with sin? Truth. It's going to hurt you. The wages of sin are death. You mess around with pornography, you're going to have a problem in your life. You mess around with liquor, you're going to have a problem with your life. You mess around with honesty, you're going to have a problem with in your life. You mess around with pride with 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 whatever, you're going to have a problem with your, in your life. Don't don't fight with God when that happens. Go on your knees and say, "I'm sorry, forgive me. Help me to get out of this mess Cuz I don't want to hurt anymore. You understand what I'm saying? John chapter 13, verse 1. I'm almost finished. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own were in the world he loved them to the end and supper being ended the, the devil already having put into the heart of Judas his Simon's son to betray him please note that Jesus is about to wash Judas's feet knowing exactly Judas's sin Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God rose from supper, and laid aside its garments, took a towel, and girded himself. This is a little small to gird myself, but we're going to leave it right there. And then he poured water into a basin. And began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. What's in there? Grace and truth. John says in his first letter, he says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. walked into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel which was, it was and he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him Lord are you washing my feet Jesus answered and said to him what I'm doing you do not understand now but you will know after this Peter said you shall never wash my feet Jesus answered him if I don't wash you you have no part with me the greek word for part is the word koinonia you have no communion with me you have no fellowship with me you have no intimacy with me see how sin pushes you away from god not god away from you now watch Simon Peter said to him, well, then in that case, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, listen to what Jesus says. He says, he who is bathed, he who took a bath, he who washed, needs only to wash his feet, but is, what's the next word, completely clean. my friend when you receive jesus by grace through faith the lordship of jesus the gift of forgiveness the gift of eternal life you were completely washed but jesus says there's also truth in you not just grace and so every day you walk in a dirty world and you dirty your feet that come in touch with this world so come to me confess your sin to me allow me to wash your feet no but then my head and my hands no no you don't understand you're already clean you've, you've already been washed you, you don't need to clean that type of sin what you need to do is you need to clean you need to cleanse the temporal sin in the flesh that's why I need to wash your feet and then Jesus says what I have done now do to one another you want to talk about love start with forgiveness he said what I have done to you do to one another and so, of course, the church took it, and now what we do? We, we carry candles, and we, we, we get dressed all funny, and then uh, we, we sit down, and we, uh, and, we, and we start washing feet of people who have, who have had their feet scrubbed to the, to, the, to the bone so that they are clean when you go and wash them already. So, but we, we go into the religious thing, and we forget the heart of the matter. You want to start afresh. Have you had an addiction? Have you had a problem with pride? Have you had a problem with with unforgiveness? Have you had a problem with with lust? Have you had a problem with, with lying? Have you had a problem with something? Have you done something that you are ashamed of and it's called a sin? Let Jesus wash your feet. Because if you don't do that, You have no communion with him because it means that there's another way, and there's no other way. He's the only one that can clean and wash your feet. Truth says your feet are dirty. Grace says let me wash them truth says you are a sinner grace says i don't condemn you truth says wages of sin must be paid grace says it is finished it has been paid that my friend is the gospel come stand with me Ella evangeli, ooh, ooh, ma shuma, ella evangeli.